If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. We have been through 17 chapters of 1 Samuel, and this morning we look back at uh, those 17 chapters through the, the lens of Hannah's prayer. 1 Samuel 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves up for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, God, I ask that the promise would be true, that your word would not return void. God, I pray you would give us an absolute hunger a desperate longing for your words. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what burdens you bring with you this morning as you walk through these doors, as you gather together with the people of God. I wonder at the pressure you might be feeling right now. Maybe this is one of those Sundays where everything's rolling good in life. But maybe you're coming here with burden. With the reality of life weighing down on you. I want you to imagine for a moment, that this right here is a billion dollars. And you come on a Sunday morning 
to church for something. To worship the Lord and hopefully to find direction for wherever you're at in life right now. What if I could say a billion dollars? I don't know what you're going through. Here you go. But the only contingency is if you take this billion dollars, you cannot have God's Word. Now think about it for a minute. You're going through struggles. You might not be going through struggles. Life might be good. You can take a billion dollars. You might already even be saved. So you might be saved with a billion dollars. Or you can have God's Word. Which one would you take? That's a good question we ought to think about. We ought to ask ourselves. Because what if we believe this was what we need for life? What if we saw these words as life-giving words that were more valuable than anything else? What if you had the opportunity to not only be able to take God's Word with you, but to hear God's Word preached to you. Well, reality is, and I know you know this, but our lives prove that we don't believe it so often. Yeah, I know about this, but I have to chase something else. This is what our hearts so easily tend towards. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do an overview of where we've been in 1 Samuel. We're going to go through chapter 1 all the way through chapter 17. And we're going to look for the theme that is so evident in these chapters In your notes there, the first thing you see written is this charge. Know the Lord's King. For He lays low the proud who disregard His Word, but raises up the humble who trust His Word. I think this is the theme through these chapters. Here's what God does. He humbles those who disregard His Word. And He lifts up those who regard it highly as life. Those who seek to live by it. So you could think of God's King as doing one of two things. He raises people up and He cuts them down. And in order to raise the ones up, He first cuts them down with His Word. And in these chapters, we see the earthly kings in Israel. And we get to see a picture of one king who lives off God's Word. 
and is humble, and another one who disregards it and is proud. And my prayer is, is that you will know the work of the Lord. All of us would want to be raised up by the Lord. So let's listen to the wisdom we can gain through God's working throughout Israel's history in this time. So remember the setting? Israel's in the promised land, but enemies are threatening. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. This doesn't feel like rest. Enemies all around us in the promised land. Everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes. God's Word is rare. It's a dark time in Israel. And 1 Samuel begins with this obscure family which tells us God is working in ways they could not imagine. It starts, and if you just kind of, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going from chapter 1 through chapter 17. I'm just going to maybe spend a minute or two uh, on each chapter. If you want to flip along, you can, or you can just take in the unfolding of God's Word. It begins with a man named Elkanah who has two wives. One of them can have children. The other can't. The one who can have children is proud, lords it over. Hannah, Peninnah, is proud. Hannah is humble. Seeking the Lord, begging the Lord for mercy that she might get a child. You remember as she's in the temple and she's crying out to the Lord and Eli thinks she's drunk. She says that she's not drunk, but I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. 1 Samuel 1.15 this is a broken person. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. And then the birth of Samuel, 1 Samuel 1.20, and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. And you start to see the humble be raised up, and then Hannah's prayer, what Scott read, which is a prayer about God's King who will tear down the proud and raise up the humble. In verse 7 of that prayer, the Lord makes the poor, or the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. This is His work. Tearing down, lifting up. He raises up the poor from the dust. 
He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. You see the work of the Lord. This is what He does. And then we see this son, Samuel, in contrast. He's given to Eli. But Eli has wicked sons that Eli is not dealing with. These are the spiritual leaders in Israel. And they are so proud, these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that they're sleeping with the temple women. And they're stealing meat from the sacrifices to the Lord. And it's a dark day in Israel. Can you imagine if your leaders were corrupt? Yeah, we can kind of imagine what it might be like not to be able to trust those in charge. But God is working in this family that nobody really knows about with this humble woman who's barren and she has a son. And then the call of Samuel. 1 Samuel 3.19 And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. The Lord is with this humble child that the Lord was calling to in the night. It's interesting. His spiritual father's Eli, whose priesthood is going to be taken from him, and he's raising up Samuel right in his midst. And then right away, our, and then in verse 21 of 1 Samuel 3, it says, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Alright, let's look at verse 20. In all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Now this is big. Because as we're going to see in a minute, the Word of God was rare in those days. But God is raising up a prophet. What does the prophet do? The prophet gives gold to his people as he speaks God's Word. Even if it's a convicting Word. And so a prophet is raised up. And then it says in verse 21, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the Word of God. While all of Israel sees nothing but darkness and destruction, the Lord appeared. How? Through the Word of God. I wonder what your life looks like. Wonder how you feel. I wonder if you wish the Lord would show up. Well, he showed up at Shiloh in the Word of God. And then right away at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They have a prophet. And they have enemies. And they go out to battle without talking to the prophet. Because they don't value the prophet. And they go and they get defeated. 
and the elders gather together and say, why has the Lord defeated us? That's a good question to ask, but then they do a foolish thing. They test God. They go get the ark, bring the ark out in front of them. Surely God would not let the ark be taken from Israel. Surely God will keep His glory. And rather than talk to the prophet, they march the ark out in front of them. They're defeated again. The ark is taken from them by the Philistines. And Eli and his two sons die on the same day. And they say, glory has departed from Israel. And Eli's daughter-in-law, as she's giving birth to Phineas' son, names the son Ichabod. The glory has departed from Israel. That's what Israel sees. But what is God doing in Israel. He's raising up His Word. And He's tearing down the proud as Eli and his priesthood are done away with. And then the ark wreaks havoc on the Philistines. Remember when they take the ark and set him up next to Dagon? And Dagon falls over. His head falls off. His arms fall off. They all start getting tumors and they start dying. they got to get rid of the ark and they send it to Beth Shemesh. They send the ark on a cart. Let's get rid of this ark. It's interesting. In 1 Samuel 6, 6, as the Philistines go to their diviners, they want a word from God. They say, what should we do Here's what they, here's what they say. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts after he dealt severely with them? Did they not send the people away and they departed? It seems to be there's more sense in, with the Philistine diviners than in Israel. Ought we not fear this God who took the Israelites out? of Egypt. And then as the ark comes to the men of Beth Shemesh in, in chapter 6, verse 20, then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Because as the ark comes, what happens? They look upon the ark in a way that offended God and 70 men tipped over dead. Who can stand before this holy God is the question. It's interesting. Right at the beginning of 1 Samuel, you have Hannah's prayer. At the end of 2 Samuel, this is all one work together. At the end, you have David's song. And David knew the answer to their question. Their question is, is who can stand before this holy God? In 2 Samuel 22-28, David says, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. The person who can be saved is the humble can be saved. 
And so the ark comes back to Israel. And you have this moment of repentance in Israel. Look at 1 Samuel 7. As Samuel calls Israel together, and he calls them to repentance. And then in verse 7 of chapter 7, now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And what a great thing to pray. Go to the prophet and say, call out to the Lord for us. And what does Samuel do? He offers up a young lamb. And when he sacrifices the young lamb as the Philistines are drawing in, the Lord thundered against the Philistines. And they all went into confusion. Can you imagine a thunder so loud that you didn't even know which way was up or which way was down? Well, as the people come to the Lord's prophet, the Lord has mercy on them. As they have this moment of humility, God saves them. But then right away, beginning chapter 8, what does Israel do? Chapter 8, verse 5, Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. God has just raised up a prophet for you. He's just saved you. The prophet mediated on your behalf. And they say, give us a king like the nations. How foolish. How foolish. And yet, this sits on our shelf and we walk through life and we'll clamor after so many things and not go to the Word. Not go here from the Lord. And then Samuel warns them. He says, okay, if you get a king like the nations, here's your warning. He's going to be a selfish king. And he's going to seek good for himself. And he's going to take, take, take. And he's not going to give. He says, this is what leadership looks like in the world. And we witness this all the time. Leaders of government, taking advantage of the people as Israel got what they asked for. So, Saul is chosen to be Israel's first king. 1 Samuel 9.27 As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel came to Saul and said, tell the servants to pass on before us when he had passed on, stop here yourself for a little while that I'll make known to you the Word of God. As Samuel reveals to Saul that he's going to be the first king, 
He says, listen to me and I'll reveal to you the Word of God. This is the marching order for all of Israel's kings. They're not just given all sorts of authority to do what they want, but they're given authority to act according to God's Word. Right now, I have zero authority as one of the shepherds of Sovereign Grace Church except when I line up with God's Word. And then in chapter 10, verse 19, we have this public choosing of Saul. It's not a private thing anymore. And as he's going to be presented, this is kind of coronation day. This is the day when they get to see their king. Do you remember what happened? Right before that, they don't know why they're being gathered together, Israel. But Samuel says, today you've rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distress. And you've said to Him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourself before the Lord and by your tribes and by your thousands. And they think they're going to get killed. And this is the point where God says, here's your king. And he's hiding in the baggage. As they cast lots so God can show this is who I'm giving you as your king. And Saul sheepishly stands up as a little foreboding warning that this king will not be valiant in the way he ought to be. And then you remember that Amorites came. You remember Nahash who's terrorizing everyone and plucking out their eyes. He comes to the men at Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead and they all know, these Jews know, that they cannot stand up to the Amorites and to Nahash. And so they say, let's make a deal. We'll be your servants and we will serve you. But that wasn't enough for Nahash. He had to humiliate them. He says, well, let me pluck out your right eyes so I can humiliate the God of Israel and his people. Well, word got to Saul as he's coming in from the field and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he gets angry and he calls all of Israel to come out and fight. And they asked for seven days to give an answer to Nahash. Nahash isn't afraid of them. Gives them the seven days, but God gives them victory through Saul. And then after this, we get Samuel's farewell address. Where in this farewell address, he says, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and your King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. If you listen to God's Word and humble yourself under it, no worries. But if you rebel against God's Word, 
He will bring you down. And then after this, we have Saul getting ready to fight the Philistines. He takes 3,000 of his men. Remember this story? Saul takes 2,000. He gives Jonathan 1,000. Saul's at Michmash. Jonathan's at Gibeah. And Jonathan comes in and he takes the stronghold, the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. And he kills them. And Saul sends word out, look at my victory. Look at what I did. He sends it out through all of Israel. And as word gets out, the Philistines are angered. And they come over the hill with 30,000 chariots. Right now, there's 3,000 Israelite soldiers ready to fight. The rest of the men are at their homes and 30,000 Philistine chariots are coming their way. 6,000 horsemen and men like the sand of the sea. And they scatter. Some of them run right out of the land the promised land, literally. Others hide in caves. And you remember what Saul did? He's supposed to wait for seven days to hear from the Word of the Lord through the prophet Samuel what he should do. But he cannot wait for God's Word. And so he makes an unlawful sacrifice. And here is what Samuel says to him. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Why? You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which He commanded you. For then the Lord will have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after His own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be prince over His people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The only king in Israel can be a king that keeps the Word of God, that listens to the prophets. There is no free reigning authority and Saul heard for the first time, your kingdom is doomed. So Saul does what a pragmatist can only do as Samuel's now left him. There goes the Word of God. Away from me, he begins to number his troops. This is what we do when we don't go to God's Word. We go to the internet. We go shopping. We go drinking. We, you fill in the blank. We try to deal with life outside of God's Word. And he counts his troops. There's only 600. This battle doesn't look so good. But then what's amazing is you have the first David and Goliath type story in chapter 14, verse 6. So they're all hiding in the caves. Saul's way back here in the caves by Gibeah. Jonathan's more up towards the front lines. Saul's back there with Ichabod's relatives hiding 
And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, Jonathan said to the young man, this is verse 6 of chapter 14, who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Can you imagine? There's 600 of you, and there's 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, men more than the sands of the sea. This is unbelievable. And Jonathan says, the circumstance isn't too big for the Lord. How about you and me go walk over there? I don't know how this is going to work, but I know God can save. And they walk over. They call them up to them. There's two swords in Israel at this time, if you remember. Saul has one and Jonathan has one. The Lord gave him over to Jonathan. He pulls out his sword and he kills 20 Philistines in half a furrow's length, whatever, however big that is. And then what happens? All these thousands behind them become confused and they start fighting each other. And then we get this picture of Saul starting to recognize what is going on as the earthquakes and the Philistines are starting to kill each other. They can't recognize who's their enemy. It's as if Saul pokes up his head, starts to see what's going on, and kind of inches closer to the battle lines like, do you think we can do something now? But first, he's got to number them. Who went from us? Who did this? Oh, it's your son and his armor bearer who is gone to do this. And then, after this great victory that the Lord is obviously working, Saul starts to get nervous. So he makes another foolish mistake and he says, curse be anyone who eats before sundown. Why? He's a pragmatist. He doesn't realize the Lord is winning the battle. And so sure enough, his own son is the one who doesn't hear the command from the king and he eats honey. And so if he would have got his foolish way, his son would be dead. This is where our lives lead when we leave the Word of God out of our lives. This is how foolish we become when we become pragmatists. Not trusting in God. And then, in chapter 14, verse 36, Saul's looking and says, hey, let's go plunder them. Let's take advantage of this situation But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. The priest is saying, maybe we should ask the Lord what to do since this seems like the Lord's victory. So he asked the Lord and the Lord doesn't answer him. And then we get this devastating story of Saul in chapter 15. 
when Samuel clearly comes to Saul and tells him, you need to go wipe out Amalek for what they did 400 years previous when God was taking Israel out of Egypt and you had the older, weaker Israelites that couldn't be at the front of the line that are trailing at the back of the line as He's leading them out into the wilderness, these wicked Amicalites come in and take the weak ones at the end of the line and attack them. And way back then, God said, I'm not going to forget it. Well, now it's time to remember it. And He comes and He says, let's go tear down Amalek. It's time for the Lord to tear down the proud. And so here's what He says. Go kill man, woman, child, ox, donkey, camel. Wipe out Amalek. Get rid of Amalek. It's time for them to go down. And if you remember, Saul does not kill Agag, their king. You know, this is kind of a trophy if you get a parade around the enemy's king. And the people say, why, why kill their livestock? Why kill their sheep? Let's keep it. So Saul fears the Word of man more than he fears the Word of God. And then in verse 19, Samuel says, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord has sent me. I have brought Agag the king of Amalek. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Then in verse 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? He says, I kept the animals alive so we could sacrifice them. Samuel says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. This is a good word for us. We're busy and we're doing and we're helping. We might even be doing good things. You want to know what's better than that? Listen to God in His Word so that you can be careful to obey what God has called you to do. And then Saul said to Samuel in verse 24, I have sinned for I have, not tra- I, for I have tra- transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. That's why he did it. The reason why you won't go to God's Word is because you will view the people as greater. When I don't go to the Lord in my time of need, I view man as great. There's some other salvation out there. And then in verse 26, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord 
and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. How many churches, how many pastors, how many Christians will hold this in their hand, will say they love this, will go to their legislatures to make sure the Ten Commandments can be in the courthouse. They're Christians. They love God's Word. But how often do we hold this high and not believe there is life and hope here? And then as you know, the Lord has Samuel anoint David to replace Saul. And we see, we've just seen as David defeats Goliath what it looks like for a humble man who trusts in God to tear down this proud giant. And it's just amazing. All of Israel is terrified. All of Israel is terrified and Saul is terrified. But there's one unlikely, humble boy who believes in God's Word. Here's what we're going to see from here on out. is We're going to see what it looks like when Saul lives without God's Word and goes on in his pride. And we're going to get to see one who lives according to God's Word. Even when he sins, he trusts in the grace of God's Word. So here's the practical questions I want you to ask yourselves. In what ways have you doubted the Word of the Lord and lived pragmatically rather rather than by faith? In what ways have you said, oh yeah, I would take this over a billion dollars, but then our life shows that we don't find our hope here. This is what we all do. This is why our Christian life is called the fight of faith. A fight to believe that this is where life comes from. Listen. Listen and believe. This is what God's Word says about God's Word. Psalm 119.2 Blessed are those who keep His testimonies who seek Him with their whole heart. Let me rephrase that. Happy are those who love God's Word. Happy. Do you believe that? Blessed Happy is the one who seeks the Lord in His Word. Psalm 119, starting in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to Your Word. With my whole heart I seek You. Let me not wander from Your commandments. I've stored up Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. Blessed are You, O Lord. Teach me Your statutes. Happy are you, God. Teach me about your rules. There's joy with you. With my lips, I declare the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I can keep my way pure by God's Word. And it's better than all riches. Or how about verse... 25 of Psalm 119, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life 
according to Your Word as You're so broken and You're down in the dust? Are You saying, give me life according to Your Word? Or how about verse 71-72? through It is good for me. Now look at this one. Psalm 119.71-72 It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn Your statutes. The law of Your mouth is better than to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Afflict me. It's blessed. It's better to be afflicted and learn the rules of God and the Word of God for it's more valuable than gold. The second question I want to ask you, in what ways can you be humbled so that the Lord can lift you up? I just want to show you a couple texts and then I want you to think on this as you leave during this week. In what ways can you be humbled so that the Lord can exalt you? There's three in 1 Peter 5, verses 5-7. through I'll tell you what they are and then we'll look at them. One way you can be humbled is subject yourselves to elders in the faith. If you want to be humbled, if you want to live humbly before the Lord, put yourself in subjection to those who are further along in the faith than you are. Second, with humility, have humility towards one another. Don't view yourself as always right and everyone else as wrong or as better as we all naturally tend towards. And third, cast your anxieties on Him. You want to know how you can be proud? Take your anxieties somewhere else. Let's look at First Peter that teaches these. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time that same hand will come underneath you and exalt you. How do you do that? Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You want to know what it looks like to humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord? You might think that sounds horrible, but it's like this. Recognize He loves you and cares for you and let Him lift you up. If you want to be proud, go somewhere else for comfort. In one more passage, a few more practical ways to humble yourself. In James 4, verses 3 through 5, I think we can humble ourselves in, in, in all these ways in these few verses. Humble yourself by killing your fleshly passions that seek your own glory. That's what happens by nature. We all want to be recognized, we want our own glory. Second, submit to God and not the world. You want to be humble? 
Submit to God and not the world. You want to be humble? Resist the devil. Think about that. You want to be humble? Fight against your enemy. Don't just coast and whine. Humble people, fight. Draw near to God. You want to be humble? Draw near to God. You want to be humble? Mourn and weep. Let your repentance... When was the last time you mourned over your sin? Look at all this in James 4. In verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. When you pray, you just ask to be exalted yourself. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that for no purpose the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made dwell within us, but He gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and He'll flee from you. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify yourselves, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. If you, if you want to know a few ways, take those two passages this week and say, Lord, I want to be humbled under Your Word. Final thing. There's too much good stuff here. I want to end in Isaiah 57. In verse 15. For thus says the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, His name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place This is God, the eternal God. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And this is amazing. Listen. And also with Him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lonely and to revive the heart of the contrite. Here's what our God says. I'm holy. I dwell in in heaven, in the high and holy place, in one other place, with those people whose face are in the dust. I make my dwelling in heaven and I make my dwelling with the humble. And the only way we can be humble is if we listen to God's Word that exposes our sin and causes us to mourn and weep and get on our face and recognize our hopeless state and then listen to His glorious grace as God says, I so love the world that I sent My Son. Father, I pray that we would be a people who realize Living our life apart from Your Word is absolutely crazy. No matter the circumstances, Lord, You are enough. Father, I pray that we would encourage each other in the Word. 
that we would read the Word in private, that we'd share the Word with each other. Humble us that we may be exalted with You one day. Pray this in Jesus' name.